0: Lewis Duncombe once said, the lofty oak from a small acorn grows. This morning on your way in, each of you uh, should have received uh, an acorn from the shingle oak, Quercus imbucaria, the Latin genus name. Um, All of us are quite familiar with the beauty and the power and the mystery of the acorn. This is actually a nut that contains the seed, the single small seed, that can grow to produce a tree as lovely and as strong and as enduring as the oak. You may not know that there are over 500 species of oak trees, but here in the Midwest, you're more likely to see a red oak. It's my favorite. I've planted a red oak every place I've ever lived. Uh, a white oak, the swamp white oak, or the burr oak, or the shingle oak. And... Uh, Oaks can reach a height of about 150 feet. They can uh, reach a trunk diameter of 10 feet and live up to 500 years old. In the state of Illinois, there are two oaks that are reported at least 400 years of age. When an oak tree reaches about 20 years of age, they begin to produce acorns. And as they mature, a healthy oak will produce 150,000 acorns in a year. Botanists estimate that, um, maybe one in 10,000 will actually develop into a sapling. The capacity of these kinds of tree seeds, really seeds of all tree varieties, just never cease to amaze me. So I might encourage you to take this home and plant it in a styrofoam cup filled with dirt. And in 30 days, you might have an oak sapling. Now this morning, we're continuing our sermon series that we've titled Snapshots of the Kingdom. And in today's message that I've titled, Watch It Grow, we're going to hear a story about how small seeds grow into big things and how a little bit of yeast can make an entire loaf of bread rise. We've been looking at Matthew's Gospel, which records a collection of nine parables that Jesus gave to help his audience more fully grasp the nature of God's kingdom. And our purposes in these weeks together are to enlarge our understanding of what Jesus called the mysteries of the kingdom. Secondly, to change how we live as a result. Hopefully experience more of the real life that Jesus said he came to give. And then thirdly, to experience the signs, wonders, and miracles of God's kingdom. Because every time Jesus or the apostles shared about the gospel of the kingdom, signs and wonders followed. Now, in the parable of the farmer scattering seed and the seed growing by itself, we saw that the kingdom has come into the world to be received by some and rejected by others. And so we were encouraged to sow lots of seed. We were encouraged to anticipate rejection as normal for life in the kingdom, and we were also encouraged to anticipate the great harvest that's coming all around us around the globe. Last week, in the parable of the weeds in the wheat and the fishing net, we saw that we're not to be surprised that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of our enemy, the devil, actually coexist side by side until the end, when indeed everyone will face judgment. And in the meantime, we were encouraged to stop judging and start loving. Let the weeds and the wheat grow together. Today, we're going to discover that we should not despise small beginnings, and that we should always be expecting the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for a brand new day, the start of a brand new week. We thank you for life and breath and soundness of mind and health of body and freedom that enables us to gather together this morning to proclaim our love for you and to say we would we, we, Lord, uh, want our lives to count for you. We want to grow in relationship to one another in this church family. And we desire your kingdom to come in all of our lives in the way you know we need it. Bring your kingdom. May your will be done. Put power on your word to our lives today, that we could love and serve and glorify you in this week to come. In your name, amen. Jesus is Parables are simple stories that use everyday ordinary things, plants and birds and rocks and rivers and farmers and kings, to teach very profound spiritual truths. Their intent, as we've seen, is both to reveal, that's to provide insight to those who are actually hungry, and conceal, that is to prevent those whose hearts are calloused and hard from actually seeing the light. Reveal and conceal. And on this particularly busy day of ministry, Jesus delivered in the afternoon a series of nine parables about the nature of God's kingdom. They're recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. If you would like to open there, open your Bible app to Matthew 13. We're actually going to read the two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast today. Actually, they're fairly short. I might ask if we just kind of all read this out loud together. Let's, let's read God's word together, Matthew 13. You ready? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and the birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Simple, powerful stories. Now we've seen that the the kingdom uh, parables uh, have gone in pairs. Uh, The farmer scattering seed and the seed growing by itself, the weeds in the wheat and the fishing net, and then today, the mustard seed and the yeast. Now, in them, Jesus is teaching the fundamentals of life in God's kingdom. He's re-educating his audience because uh, their expectations were hindering them from actually seeing and understanding what was happening right in front of them. Things didn't look like what they were anticipating, and they were... uh, tempted to actually believe that the kingdom of God had actually not come, contrary to what Jesus was saying and demonstrating. And likewise, uh, I I fear that if we don't catch these basic truths, the truths in the nine parables in Matthew 13, that we can miss the kingdom as well. Now, Jesus said the kingdom is like a mustard seed that was planted in a field. Now, the mustard seed was indeed small it would have been likely the smallest seed that his listeners would have known. But when it grew, it became a large shrub, usually about four to six feet tall. But on occasions, it would, would actually reach heights of 10 to 15 feet under the optimal conditions, large enough to be sure for the birds of the air to come and actually nest in its branches. And Jesus also said that the kingdom of God is like yeast, that a woman used in making bread. Now, for thousands of years, bread uh, yeast had been used in, in, as a leavening agent in the making of bread, where through the process of fermentation, the yeast converts the sugars that are present in the dough to carbon dioxide and ethanol. And that makes the bread rise. It causes grape juice to ferment into wine. The picture here is of a Galilean woman who needs a small amount of yeast into three measures, or roughly a bushel of flour, making enough bread to feed approximately a hundred people? Now, everyone in the audience would have immediately identified uh, with the mustard plant and the bread-making process. Uh, there, there could very likely have been a mustard specimen right there in the field where where Jesus was teaching. And anyone in the audience that had packed their lunch that day would have been carrying bread baked in the very fashion that Jesus was addressing. So he had their attention. What was it that he was trying to communicate? Well, these parables contain at least two specific calls to action. The first is this. Don't despise the small beginnings. You see, The kingdom that Jesus was bringing was countercultural to his Jewish audience's expectation. They anticipated that when the kingdom came, God would vindicate them, that the Messiah, the Anointed One, would overthrow the oppressive Roman government, would cleanse the land, would restore glory to the temple, and would usher in then a, a time of universal and worldwide peace and prosperity and blessing and favor. The Jews that were scattered to the nations, the dispersed Jews, would return to, to Jerusalem. And that Gentiles, those outside the faith, would come to Mount Zion to hear the word of the Lord. But as they watched Jesus, they were asking, what does he have to offer? Uh, he's insignificant. I mean, we know who his parents are. We know his brothers and sisters. Uh, he looks unprofitable. What could possibly come From the smallest of seeds, the mustard seed. How could the coming of God's great and glorious and and mighty kingdom have anything to do with Jesus and his little motley band of disciples? See, he was rejected by the religious leaders. After all, they knew the most, right? And he was welcomed by the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus was looking more like a deluded dreamer than he was the bearer of God's good news, the kingdom. Jesus preached the presence of the kingdom, and yet it appeared to the naked eye that things really hadn't changed much at all. That they were going on as normal. In their worldly values or mindset, they were thinking little seed, little plant. But not so. Because in his words and works, Jesus actually turned the world value system upside down. That's what the kingdom does. The kingdom is here, but instead of invading political, or governmental sovereignties as they were expecting, Jesus was invading the darkness, sin, and evil of the enemy's kingdom one life at a time, forgiving sin, healing, meeting desperate and broken people at their point of need. He goes around doing good, helping all who were oppressed by the devil, is how Dr. Luke described it in the book of Acts. He restores God's good creation one act of love and mercy and help and forgiveness at a time. That's how the kingdom comes. He loves his enemies. He welcomes women and children. He restores those who have been marginalized. He encourages the hopeless. He delivers the demonically oppressed. And he teaches how to live under God's rule, the kingdom of God. He, he said, you want to become great? Become a servant of all. You want to gain life? Give up your own. Want to be blessed? Live with an open hand and give away what you've got. Want to be free? Turn the other cheek. Offer forgiveness for your enemies and bless those who persecute you. The pomp and the glory and and splendor of worldly kingdoms and and its uh, royalty is now subverted. Those value systems are turned upside down. So in very real ways, the coming of God's kingdom was at first small and insignificant, almost imperceptible, just a tiny little seed. But once that seed was planted, once Jesus' crucified body was placed in the tomb as the seed, the kingdom began to grow, almost imperceptibly and very slowly at first. But then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 new little plants began to grow. A short time later, Another 2,000. Book of Acts chapter 5, verse 14 then records, and yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. A short time later, Acts 6, 7 reports, so God's message continued to spread and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. The story continues, Acts 9, 31. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. It became stronger, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers, almost twenty years later, Acts sixteen five, the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew every day, and so on and on through church history. As the gospel advances, the kingdom spreads. Underneath its branches, Southeast Asia, then into Europe, and then Africa, and then in China, and eventually into Central and South America, and finally it reaches North America. And so Jesus' call in this parable is to not despise small beginnings. The kingdom always starts as a small and almost imperceptible seed. Its beginnings are almost always inconspicuous to the world. It doesn't come with great announcement, with fiat or governmental proclamation or force or edict or military coup or legislation or any other kind of worldly power or glory. It comes in hiddenness and brokenness and surrender. It comes in a willingness to give up our lives for him. It comes in a willingness to come underneath his rule. It comes in a willingness to do foolish things. And that's why Jesus encouraged us not to despise small beginnings, but rather embrace the foolishness of the mustard seed. Church Jesus is calling us to resist intimidation and shame and embarrassment in the gospel of the kingdom. Do you ever feel like you're not making much of an impact? You know, you look at the fruit of your life, the wake behind your life and you think like it doesn't look like it's very significant. I've not made any impact. I've not led anyone to Christ. I've not, I've not really accomplished anything in the kingdom. Well, that's the way it works. The kingdom often looks foolish and weak, and ineffective. As his followers, we're going to feel and often appear as if we have little potential. That's life in the kingdom. Around us, there'll be no outward evidence of the possibility of success. We're going to feel like a seed swallowed up by the earth. We're going to feel like a little bit of yeast engulfed by a whole bushel of flour. That's what he's trying to encourage us with. The odds are going to be stacked against us, but such is the nature of kingdom life. If you don't get this principle, you will miss it, Jesus said. This is what's essential to understanding life in the kingdom. Embrace it. Embrace the foolishness of being the seed. Jesus says, I want you to leave the comfort and security of life as you know it. I want you to move to a brand new town and plant a church there within the shadow of large and influential churches. Don't despise small beginnings. I want you to be intentional about developing relationships with your neighbors or your coworkers or the parents of your children's classmates or sports team members. Invite them over for dessert. Invest in their life. Don't despise those small beginnings. Yeah, I want you to offer to to pray for that waitress or that clerk or that customer or that coworker. Offer to pray for them right now. Don't despise small beginnings. What if it doesn't work, Lord? Don't despise small beginnings. I want you to do Kind deeds uh, of love with, with no strings attached. Don't even ask them to come to church. It's just doing a kind deed. Don't despise. Small beginnings. Every day the Lord says, I want to give you eyes to see and ears to hear Or I'm working all around you, and I want you to cooperate with me the best you can. Don't despise. Small beginnings. Oh, but that was just me. Don't despise. Small beginnings. Every one of us, every day, has those things that float into our mind and float right back out, and we're apt to think, oh, that was just me. That was so insignificant. That's the nature of the kingdom. Don't despise small beginnings. The kingdom starts as a small seed that ultimately grows into a large bush. It's going to gain worldwide influence. And by the time of Jesus' return, it's going to go the globe. It's going to go to universal worldwide influence. And so the lesson is don't despise small beginnings. The second call to action is this, be expecting displays of God's kingdom everywhere. Be expecting them. Just as the mustard seed grows, just as the yeast works its way through the whole loaf, the entire batch of dough, so we should be expecting the kingdom to advance. It's here. Jesus inaugurated and launched it. In his life, in his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus' death as the single seed, his resurrection as the incontestable proof that everything he said and demonstrated is indeed true. And thirdly, his ascension. Just as I go, I'm coming again at the end of the age, at the consummation of the kingdom. These three things are evidence that the kingdom of God has come. And then in our everyday, workaday lives, we should be expecting evidence of this inbreaking kingdom every day. We should, we should expect that the power and presence of that future that's going to be brought to completion on the day of his return, that it would be made manifest where we work and where we live and play and go to school and do our grocery shopping and, and go out for dinner. The kingdom has come, and it's going to keep coming. It is here, and yet it will be delayed until final completion, when he returns. It's going to be resisted and rejected. We've already seen that in the parables, so expect that as normal in the kingdom. It's already here, but it's not yet all the way here, like it will be someday, the already not yet. The final resurrection has already begun when Jesus rose from the dead, but it's coming in a universal and worldwide sense when when. He consummates or brings to completion the kingdom at the end of the age when all the dead in Christ will rise and meet him again. That's what we're going for. We're aiming for the resurrection. Life as Jesus intended it. But in the meantime, it's growing and it's working its way all the way through the loaf. The kingdom of God is working as yeast all the way through the dough. And we should be expecting it in every pocket of our lives. Be expecting demonstrations of God's truth and love and mercy and kindness and power in every pocket of life. Be looking for it there. We should be expecting, we should be hopeful, we should be anticipating the already of God's kingdom. We should, we should hope and trust and expect that, that it's going to be there and then just trust God sovereignly to bring it at the right time in the right way. You know, we've already seen, it, We can plant, we can water, but only God can give the increase, right? There's nothing we can do to make the kingdom come except plant and water the seed. And then even then when it grows, we've learned in the parables, we don't know how it grows. It just does, how those tiny little seeds actually grow to produce fruit. You see, we can't actually forgive anyone in the kingdom, can we? We can't actually heal anyone. We can't restore a broken marriage or encourage a a situation to change. We, We can't do any of that stuff. We can plant seeds and trust that God will make them grow. But we can't actually do the real work of the kingdom. We plant and we water, but God does the increasing. We can love. We can extend mercy. We can speak truth. We can point people to Jesus as sufficient, as one who can do all things. We can. Help people follow Jesus and find real life. That's what we've said we, we believe we're called to do. And then we trust Jesus to do his job. Be expecting God's kingdom to break in at any moment. Because it can and it will. The mustard seed is growing. The yeast is working its way through the flour in the dough. And just remember that the kingdom is not yet universally triumphal. It will be someday but not now. And so this is actually very encouraging, that the two kingdoms coexist together. there will always be elements and remnants of the enemy's kingdom until the final day. Our efforts now will be resisted and combated by a very real, very personal, and very strategic enemy. And so don't be surprised when that stuff happens. Now, there are some in the church today who, in an attempt to emphasize the already of the kingdom, encourage us in teaching that every sickness will be healed, that every need will be provided, and every prayer will be answered. We're encouraged to merely claim these promises by faith and trust God to see them come. All we have to do is believe in the completed work of Christ, and all these blessings will come. As sincere as these teachers are, I think they've missed the warning of the kingdom parable, the ones that we've unpacked so far. Good and evil will continue to coexist. The weeds and the wheat will continue to grow together. It isn't until the end of the age that the yeast has worked its way through the entire loaf that the mustard plant will be universal in its influence and scope. It's only when the mustard plant is fully grown that the effects of the kingdom will become worldwide and universal. And so people today can make the same mistake that the Jews in Jesus' day were actually thinking, making. They'd been encouraged by the promises in the prophets to to expect the great and glorious day of the Lord. The, The prophets were speaking about God's promises. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Joel. You can read them in the Old Testament. And they saw the promised kingdom as one Single universal mountain peak. The kingdom comes in total. It's all there. Every blessing of the future is there worldwide in its scope and its blessing and in its provision. A time of peace and prosperity and all enemies have been set aside. Everything that God has to offer is, is yours. And that's the way the prophets saw the kingdom. But it wasn't until Jesus came and he actually gave us a side view that we begin to understand what it was the prophets actually saw. It's actually as if they were standing at the edge of a mountain range and could see uh, that they were looking down through uh, uh, history at the kingdom age. So this is the prophet, and what they were not able to see is what Jesus reveals now through the parables and in his teaching that actually the kingdom coming is a series of peaks and valleys. It doesn't all come at once. Rather, it's going to come successively over time. There's going to be an ebb and a flow. There's an already and a not yet. There's an already and a not yet. It's coming, but it's not all the way here. And so in the kingdom age, what's natural is for there to be joy and sorrow, pain and disappointment. There's victory and, and, and success and sadness and loss. You get the idea that over time there, there's going to be answered prayers and disappointment. Uh, there'll be life and death. There'll be pain and there'll be, um, joy. There'll be victory and defeat over time. And we shouldn't expect anything differently. It's not one big universal all blessings are yours immediately at one time. It's the succession of, of ebb and of flow, the already, the not yet, the two kingdoms in conflict. Now, we should be expecting a new peak to break out in the vista at any moment for those promises to come crashing through and, and for victory and joy and success and answer prayer and life and healing and blessing and joy and favor to come at any moment because the veil between this life and the kingdom is, is very thin. It's already here and it can manifest at any moment. We can step right through the veil at any moment and see God's kingdom and power come. We should expect that, that we'll, we'll see another mountain peak revealed at any moment. And so in this in this way, we should be filled with expectation. And we should not be discouraged at the same time when it doesn't come. When we're at the top of the mountain peak, and this is the, the normal Christian life, the next evening, or the same day in the afternoon, you can be in the valley, can't you? And, you know, at times we wondered, like, is something wrong with me? (laughs) Like, am I really a Christian? If I was a real Christian, I wouldn't have these peaks and valleys. This is the normal Christian life. Joy and sorrow, victory and defeat. And what the prophets didn't see was the view that Jesus said, I'm going to now reveal to you the mysteries of the kingdom. This was mysterious. Because all the prophets all saw, and all the Jews were expecting, was that. And I fear that some in the church today are are making the same mistake the prophets made. It's all joy. It's all blessing. It's all God's favor. Every promise is yours. Well, yeah, but only like that. Okay, you got it. Hope that's helpful as a way of encouraging you to see uh, what Jesus is trying to communicate. If anything an accurate understanding of the way life in the kingdom works makes me yearn for the fullness of the kingdom. does not at times your heart just ache wanting a fuller demonstration and manifestation of God's presence among us. We yearn for that mountain peak, don't we? We're down in the valley and we can see the peak and we just want His, uh, his power and his blessing and his healing and his favor to break into our lives. And so the way it works in the kingdom, because there's an already and a not yet, an ebb and a flow, it makes our hearts yearn for the kingdom. It makes us lean into the kingdom and trust God, because we never know when the power and and glory and blessing of the future age is going to break in to this present evil age where we live and work and play. The kingdom is working its way through the entire loaf. The mustard plant is growing. And it comes as God's people are empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the words and do the works and live the life and suffer the reproach of Jesus. And so, I'm just going to encourage you. uh, Ask, seek, and knock. And expect an answer. Because the kingdom's here. When When you need something, ask God for it. Pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on the earth. As it is in heaven, pray and expect God to actually move. Join with the Holy Spirit in sharing his love and his truth and his power and actually expect that what you say will have an effect, that that the kingdom will manifest, that joy will come, forgiveness will come, healing will come, provision will come. Join with the Holy Spirit in sharing the kingdom, the love and the truth and the mercy and power of God everywhere we go. It's our job to sow the seed. And so serve your neighbors in love. Even the ones you can't stand, serve them in love. Offer to pray with a classmate or a co-worker, even when you have no guarantee that what you pray is going to happen. Join the PTSA, or whatever they call it here in Peoria, uh, in school, or join the Booster Club, or, or uh, some other uh, club, or an agency, or a, a, a some kind of a support group, and and offer your services, the things that you do well. Say, can I serve you in some way? And and actually expect that God might might use you in that environment. Invest in a friend, invite a friend, and and pour into their lives. Listen without judgment, as we learned last week, to a struggling co-worker or a neighbor. Uh, Encourage them with a a promise from the Bible, and say it in a language that's natural, and, and not say, thus saith the Lord, and And just watch God's word as a seed come to life and bring them joy. Expect God's power and presence to actually be there when you share and lay hands on someone or speak a word of truth from the Bible. Actually expect that the seed has power in their life, whether that's here, whether that's near, whether that's far away. And when Jesus returns at the close of this age, his kingdom, which has come in part in the form of the seed, will be completed and will manifest in a universal, worldwide way. That's what we're looking for. Lord, we're just so grateful that you encourage us with these simple and yet profound truths. And I pray, God, that you would take the truth of your word and sow it deep into our hearts so that it could form and shape our life, our experience, and even our expectations. And to the degree that we have the already, we say thank you. To the degree that we're still living in the not yet, we say more, Lord, more of your already. May we experience more of your power, more of your presence, more of your love, more of your forgiveness, more of your mercy, more of your truth in a greater and fuller and more dynamic way. And now, Lord, as we receive the offering and we give our lives to you in worship, I pray that you would take these tokens that say we love you and we want our lives to count. Take these tokens for what they are in your name.